Hello everyone. My name is Jonathan Heaven. I'm a fourth year medical student at Nova Southeastern University's allopathic program. And my name is Matthew and I'm an M4 student at the exact same university. And thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, so this is a second part of our series um, and we're just reflecting back on our four years of medical school. Um, and really just trying to give some insight on things that we wish we knew sooner. Um, and so we're really happy you're joining us today. Um, hopefully it can be entertaining, have a few laughs along the way. Um, today we're going to be talking about something that a lot of medical students struggle with or change their mind on throughout medical school. And that's finding the proper specialty that you want to devote your entire career to. Um, so it's pretty much the biggest decision that a medical student has to make in regards to the, their future career outlook. Um, and so it's something a lot of people struggle with. So we wanted to kind of discuss some ways to think about it and kind of narrow it down. Um, so just generally finding my specialty uh, for myself was something I really struggled with. Um, so I went into medical school completely undecided about what direction I was going to go. Um, I figured I didn't know enough to really make a fully informed decision. I wanted to go in, see what I like, see what I'm good at, um, and kind of take it from there. Um, but everyone has a different kind of path and the way they come to the realization. Um, what was that kind of intro for you? What was your original thoughts on your specialty, Matt? So for me, I think I came into medical school with a pretty good idea of what I wanted to go into, which I think is, it's not as common as you think it would be. You think most people going into medical school, they kind of know exactly what they want to do, and then they're going to go ahead and do it in medical school. But I think I was definitely in the minority in terms of when I went into medical school, I had a decent idea that I wanted to apply for orthopedic surgery. Uh, just in, in terms of my backgrounds, I, I kind of always found it interesting uh, for undergrad, my degree was chemistry and economics, and within chemistry, I really liked organic chemistry, which makes me the weirdo of the people who went to medical school. It was my absolute favorite subject, and I just loaded on organic chemistry courses and took synthetic organic chemistry and just absolutely loved it and even considered pursuing kind of a master's or PhD over in that area. And what I, I loved a lot about organic chemistry and chemistry, kind of just synthetic chemistry, was the fact that you can kind of just see things come together. Kind of the salt and pepper of that is sterics and electronics. So hopefully I'm not giving you any flashbacks to those classes. <laughs> but it's pretty much just understanding how molecules are in 3D space, how a reaction takes place. Is there anything blocking it or electronics blocking it? And I just really enjoyed kind of visualizing that in my head, understanding kind of like the 3D model with that. And didn't want to work in a lab for my entire life, didn't want to have to do the bench research like a lot of people who ended up going to medical school. So I really gave that a serious consideration. And when I was in high school, even before this, I broke my arm playing hockey and got my really first exposure to the medical field. I don't have any family members that are a doctor or anything like that. My mom uh, pretty much raised us working from home a little bit. She did a little bit at the beginning and pretty much just raised my sister and I. And then my dad worked in marketing for an animal health company. So absolutely no connection whatsoever to kind of medicine at all. 
But broke my arm playing hockey, got exposed to it. I think I hated being in the hospital. I felt like I could do things better than what the nurses did and what the doctors did, which probably says more about myself than the actual hospital system. And <laughs> I'm like, I could totally do this. Really easy, no problem. And <clears throat> little did I know that changed a, a little bit down the road. But I broke my arm, got my arm fixed, had some pins put in it. And I think it's a relatively common thing for people interested in orthopedics is they grew up playing sports and had some kind of injury and got exposed to, to orthopedics that way and kind of perused that a little bit and shadowed the orthopedic surgeon that did my surgery, kind of always had that interest burning. Like I mentioned, I kind of veered off and kind of doing the, the chemistry side of things and explored healthcare from a business perspective, doing consulting, sales, marketing, everything along those lines. But the fact that I was exposed to orthopedic surgery, kind of my first one was really interested in it. Uh, the fact that like my favorite part of chemistry was just visualizing things 3D in my head and understanding how they fit together pairs pretty well for orthopedic surgery in terms of putting the bones back together and understanding how they, they go about fitting together. And then I think for me, orthopedics is just, there's something that just resonated with it. I kind of liken it to why do you, why do I love my fiance? There's not like one specific reason that I can just point to. It's kind of just the, the total package. It's the people that you work with. It's the nature of the field and it's everything like that. However, with that being said, when I went into medical school, I did my very best to keep an open mind and try to explore some different areas just to ensure that I wasn't just locking myself into orthopedics from the get-go because orthopedics can be a very demanding field, uh, both on your body, both in terms of time on it as well, in terms of time away from family. So I wanted to give serious consideration to, to all the different specialties, but I think I, think I kind of knew where I was going to end up from the get-go. How about yourself? You said kind of exploring the different areas when it came to, to medicine and obviously you settled on psychiatry. So can you elaborate on, on that journey a little bit? Yeah. Um, and that was really interesting to hear, hear how you kind of came to the realization. And, and that's, that's really neat. And everyone has their own journey. Um, and that's the beauty of medicine, really. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, as I said, I was completely like open minded when I came into medical school. Um, I had done a fair amount of shadowing with some different uh, specialties. Like actually, I was with, worked with an orthopedic surgeon for a while, um, a dermatologist, plastic surgeon, um, and so it was cool to to really see what these different lifestyles are like. Um, but as an undergraduate, shadowing and that kind of exposure is not really seeing what it actually is and what it would be like to s devote your entire life to that specialty. Um, so I was definitely very open-minded. Um, I just made sure to genuinely consider each, each potential option when I was rotating, when I was learning different things. I was like, okay, can I see myself doing that? Um, and ultimately, I decided on psychiatry um, for a lot, of, a lot of important reasons, which we'll actually get to kind of going through some of these different topics that we'll discuss today. Um, but really, at the end of the day, you got to just take a look in the mirror and realize what makes you happiest, what gives you the most energy, what allows you to really be your true self. Um, and that's what I ultimately did. And I found that psychiatry was my calling. Um, but so for a lot of students, it's something that people struggle with. Um, so I actually looked into it, and according to the AAMC, um, they did a report on residents where they were asking some different questions, um, and they found that only about one out of every four medical students 
actually have a certain specialty in mind when they enter and then actually pursue a residency in that same field. Um, so it's something that essentially three quarters of medical students either change their mind on or they go in having no clue what they want to do. Um, so Matt, you're in the, in the rare lucky quarter um, that it worked out great for you and that's lovely and that provides a lot of advantages um, towards boosting that resume and really catering your your residency app will really show that you've had that in, in mind the whole time through and show that you're dedicated. Um, but we'll get into some ways that you can still make it seem that way, even if you're not necessarily sure <laughs> um, when you start in there. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's definitely very common. Um, and so what I was hoping that we could start with is kind of if, say, you're a medical student going in and you really aren't sure what direction you want to take. Um, so I kind of wanted to roughly give some advice on how you should be thinking at different points throughout your medical school career. Um, so obviously your preclinical years, um, M1, M2, I mean, you, you're learning content. Um, it's a lot more class focused, studying nonstop every day. Um, so at this point, it's not as much exposure to the actual life of it, but at this point, I think it's a very important thing to just keep your mind open to everything. Um, not necessarily put yourself in a box. Um, if you decide, okay, this is what I'm doing. Don't only, don't like completely discount other aspects or other things that might interest you. Um, just because, you know, you, you might find a passion that you never knew you had. Um, so, and just keep in mind, it's, I mean, it's a giant thing. It's a huge, huge decision to make and it will impact the rest of your career. Um, but it's something that doesn't have to happen overnight. It's something that you can really take a look inside yourself and ultimately see what's right. Um, so it's, again, it's just very individual. Um, and so kind of jumping off of that in your preclinical years, um, there are some important things you can do that I alluded to that can help your resume down the line when you're applying to residencies. Um, so that can be joining interest groups. Um, so our school, we're very lucky to be part, we're part of the second class of our, um, of our program. And that really allowed us the opportunity to either join a interest group that's already existing or there was ample opportunity, the school was very supportive in students starting their own student interest groups in whatever, um, whatever area of medicine they might wanna pursue. Um, so Matt, have you participated in any student groups or what was your experience with that in your preclinical years? Absolutely, I think clubs are definitely a great area to get exposed to what the actual field is like. Because when you're going through the actual preclinical classroom, it's just a lot of knowledge and it feels very abstract, at least to me. You don't really know what the day in, day out is actually going to be like in that specialty. <clears throat> so for instance, for say cardiology, you learn about some of the just pretty much the whole breadth of cardiology when it comes to different diseases, management, everything like that. But it's really hard unless you really delve into it to kind of understand what is the bread and butter of cardiology, what are like the more common things you're going to see because you're learning everything and you could get possibly tested on everything. So it's hard to kind of gauge in terms of a lot of what you're going to be seeing is kind of heart failure patients, management of that, high blood pressure. But when you're studying in your first and your second year, you're learning about 
every single condition, no matter how rare. And a lot of those conditions you're probably never going to see in your practice, or you're going to only see a handful of times in your practice. So it's really, really difficult to kind of gauge what the actual day-to-day -day life is when you're kind of hitting the books, uh, reviewing your flashcards or doing whatever resource helps you the most. So I really find that's where the, the clubs definitely helped out. And for myself, I joined several different clubs similar to, to Jonathan, but I think the two that are really coming to mind for me right now are the Surgery Club, as well as the Entrepreneurship and Healthcare Club. So starting with the Surgery Club, definitely had an interest in orthopedic surgery, and we didn't have a specific orthopedic surgery interest group at the time. And I was busy with my, my studies in the first year and didn't necessarily want to commit the time to kind of starting up my own club at that particular point. And later got involved more in an orthopedic sports medicine type club. But for the surgery club, it was an easy thing to go into. We had various speakers uh, and various events that kind of let you get an, a better understanding of what the field of like surgery is actually going to be like. So one thing that really comes to mind is we had a suture clinic. I believe a lot of different medical schools have that where it just teaches you some of the basic skills of how to suture. And for me, it was really nice to finally get my hands doing something after they were kind of just sitting at a laptop, hitting the space bar, going through my Anki cards. And it kind of felt validating because I think a lot of what you're going through in first and second year is so book driven. You kind of lose focus of why you went to medical school in the first place. You kind of lose the context of why you're studying. Of course, you have some interaction with the hospital, but it's just not the same as you do when you're in your third year, your fourth year, and probably when you're starting your, your residency as well. So the surgery club definitely gave me that understanding of what it's actually like to be a surgeon, speaking with surgeons. But for me, it's just like the toughest part of applying for surgery is you just, you don't know a lot. For pretty much every other specialty, you're able to do the job of that specialty when you're in your rotation. So for psychiatry, you can go see patients, you can interview them, you can come up with a diagnosis and plan. You run that by your senior resident attending, you come up with a plan together and you're kind of getting the gist of what you're actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And for surgery, that's really tough because nobody is just going to let you walk into the OR and just start doing surgery, especially as a medical student. There's definitely a hierarchy in terms of attending to senior resident to more junior level resident. And as a medical student, you're pretty much helping with suction. You're helping with kind of various other things. On occasion, they'll let you close and a lot of this is institution dependent. Some will let you do more, some will let you do a little bit less. And having this kind of hurdle for, for surgery can make it really tough for some people to be really certain, at least for me, to be really certain about applying to it. But I was still definitely dedicated to that. And based on kind of all the more passive type things that I did with the clubs, with shadowing, everything like that, it, it definitely reaffirmed my, my interest in, in going into surgery and orthopedic surgery specifically. And then when it came to the other club was the Entrepreneurship and Healthcare Club that I helped start up with some of the, the DO students because NOVA has both an MD as well as a DO school, which is, is relatively unique. I think there's only about two or three in, in the schools in the U.S. that have both programs. And we were able to start that up and kind of look at healthcare, not just from kind of learning the clinical side of medicine and everything like that, but understanding that there's a whole side of it that you really don't get exposed to within the medical field. And that's always been interesting to me since I had that background in consulting, marketing, sales, and everything like that. So that was also a nice little respite getting away from just kind of clinical medicine, studying everything like that, and kind of reframe everything. But definitely the, the clubs were fantastic opportunities to get involved with. You learn so much. You can connect with some amazing people and, and draw on their expertise. And 
I mean, part of it too is it, it, it builds to your CV, but I think that's kind of more of a, a minor part of looking at it for me. The main thing was just kind of getting connections, understanding, is this something that I really want to get into? And it's such a low pressure environment to do so. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. And then Jonathan, how about for yourself? You mentioned you joined many different clubs and settled on psychiatry. So t- tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So in my personal experience, so I was all over the place. Um, so really, I utilized a lot of student interest groups as kind of a way to just test the waters, see what stuck out to me. Um, so, and that's a beauty of these groups is as a member, there's really not a lot asked of you. It's not like a giant burden to join these. Um, really, you can just like join the meetings, you know, I mean, like you can go to the guest speaker events. Um, often there's free food, so that was also an added bonus of joining a bunch of clubs. Um, but really, I mean, it's it's an amazing way without too much work to kind of see what different specialties might interest you. So I joined the IM group. I was in the sports med group. I was emergency med, um, psych. I, I joined all these different ones, um, and it really kind of helped just connect me with people in the field. Um, so that's really great, useful exposure. Um, so you can kind of use it as a wide kind of net to just cast and see what, what lands. But if you already have a certain interest in mind of a specialty, then you can utilize these clubs as leadership positions. You know, you can really start to instill change and make a positive impact on the club. And, and that really shows your dedication to that field while you're also in turn benefiting getting that uh, that knowledge of the field and just understanding a little bit more what you're getting into. Um, so, so yeah, clubs are definitely a great way to, uh, to start figuring out that, that specialty you want to get into if you're kind of stuck. Um, also, getting into research is another way that if you're able to, like, to start, jump on a, a research project that might be in a specific specialty focus, um, that's another way that you can try and utilize that. Um, however, you don't necessarily need to worry that much about it being in your field of interest, or if you don't know what, what field you're interested in yet, I say I think it's a great thing to just join as much research as your schedule will permit you to do while you can still fully meet all the responsibilities of your normal curriculum and don't, don't slack on class to, to do research or anything like that. Um, additionally, you know, I mean, at, in your preclinical years, I mean, you can, you can try and get shadowing experience because you're not on your rotations yet at that point. But I mean, that's, that's also an option. Um, and really one of the most important things you can do to try and start when you're still like kind of jumping back and forth for a lot of people, um, is just finding a mentor, you know, I mean, you, there are ample people around you who are surprisingly willing to lend their advice and kind of share their perspective. Um, so I see, I saw quite a few mentors in, um, in different fields. Um, so my main mentor now, obviously, is a psychiatrist. Um, but I've got to say, um, an orthopedic hand surgeon has really been an excellent mentor to me throughout medical school, um, helped guide me in a lot of different ways. Um, and originally I was considering ortho as a possibility for me too. 
Um, and that, he was a big part of that. But um, but ultimately, I found my my calling somewhere else. But it's it's a great way to to really start seeing and understanding p- people that have been there before and that are currently living that life. It's it's a really useful thing. Um, what's your opinion on mentorship, Matt? Yeah, I think it's, it can be intimidating when you're reaching out to somebody because they typically have an MD, DO, PhD, something behind their name that definitely creates kind of the impression, and they definitely do have a huge area of expertise, and it can be daunting going to, to reach out to them as a lowly medical student who doesn't really know too much. But I think one thing to really keep in mind is there's a reason that they're in the position that they're in. There's lots of different opportunities to make a living in medicine. Um, there's academic private practice, a lot of different hybrid models, everything like that. And there's a reason why a lot of the faculty and people around your university are there. And by and large, it's because they like to teach and they like to mentor people. And so they specifically chose a career where they can do that. So it's always going to be intimidating to reach out to them. You don't know them. They definitely have an impressive resume and think they've done way more than you and kind of would just kind of assume, you just assume that they're too busy for you. But that's definitely not the case. They've picked a career where they have time to go and dedicate to you. Granted, it's not, might, not always going to be as much time as you would like as a, as a mentee, but it's definitely enough time and they're dedicated enough to, to education and, and to mentoring that it's definitely a, a huge value there. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind if you do find it a little bit daunting is just know that they're in the position they're in because they want to help. Um, in addition, I know, Jonathan, you were mentioning something kind of being open to all the different specialties at this particular time. And one question popped into my head is I had the benefit of kind of knowing what I was going into and understanding kind of just on how competitive it was and kind of what areas I needed to focus on. How did you go about going through kind of first, second, third year, still undecided about what you want to get into, Mm -hmm. knowing that different specialties value very different things. Some value research very highly. Some really focus on board scores others letters of recommendation so how did you go about kind of making sure you were getting all your bases covered because that's definitely a situation I do not envy at all (laughs) it was definitely a struggle you know um it's it was one of those things that I got very good advice early on and that was no matter what specialty you ultimately pursue if you have a really good resume it's you're gonna get there you know so you basically just want to essentially treat like if you're not sure, just prepare to be going into the most competitive specialty out there. So just do everything you can to to get research, to uh, to volunteer, you know, just to to be as well rounded and and just check all those boxes. And also while in doing that, it really can lend itself to to finding your own curiosities and just sparking new interests that you didn't even know you had. So really, it's it's just a matter of not putting yourself in a box, giving giving everything a chance. You know, honestly, I was very surprised to find out how much I liked psychiatry. Um, so actually, it's it's funny. I laugh about it with with my family that um, in undergrad, psychology was one of my least favorite classes, <laughs> and so I just automatically assumed like, okay, psychiatry probably not for me. Um, but then I started learning the material and I was like, oh, wow, oh, this makes sense. This is fun. And then I ultimately got on the rotations and I was like, wow, this is I like I mesh well with these people. I, I just feel good when I'm doing it. And then ultimately realized it was for me. 
Um, so I think the most valuable piece of it, of advice I can give is if you're not sure, even if you are sure, don't count things out just because of preconceived notions of it. Give everything a fair chance. And realistically, you're not going to love every part of, of medical school. Um, I had definitely had some rotations that I liked more than others, um, some that I was really glad to, to have finished. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's just part of the journey. And that's the beauty of medicine is it's so there's so much variety um, that everyone is going to find their own little, little spot for them. Um, and something else I wanted to mention on the preclinical years um, is that there are a lot of associations, organizations nationwide outside of just your school um, that you can join that are either free or pretty cheap. And that can really connect you to a lot of people in the fields. They have a lot of talks. Um, they have different events that you can go. And, and really, it, it ups your networking. It's, it's an amazing way. That's a really great way to find mentors as well. Um, so, so whatever specialty might pique your interest, you know, go ahead and, and Google it. They, and actually the AAMC has connections all through that, um, which we'll get into a little bit later, um, that can link you up to some really cool, um, possibilities to join some associations. Um, so Matt, unless you have anything else in relation to the preclinical years? I think we did a, a good job. Again, it's, it's fairly nebulous and it's very person specific in terms of, of what you go into, but I think we kind of a, a good base right there. Yeah, hundred percent. So the third year is really where you get that actual exposure. And honestly, you can't make an informed decision until you genuinely get to go live the life of a specific specialist, you know, I mean, and granted, it's still as a medical student, so it's not nearly the same responsibilities, but you're there with them every day. Um, you're starting to see what is actually like as opposed to what you think it might be and the, the type of patients that are going to be there um, and just all around. Um, it's it's just real exposure and just continuous going through it. So you get your core rotations. Um, so, I mean, those are all four to eight weeks, depending on the school, depending on the specialty it is that you're rotating in. Um, and it just really gives you a good way to dive in there and see, okay, if, do I like this? Do, like, you know, there's there's a lot of um, deeper engagement and just really living it. Um, and, and then you can, at least for me, when I started going through my different rotations, I could feel, especially when I was going, driving to and from the hospital, um, I could just either feel energized, excited for the day, or like on the way there, going home, like, wow, I, I really helped someone today. I, I felt like I was really contributing to the team. And then I've had other rotations where I, on the way there, I'm, I'm like, just, oh, what, this is going to be a long day. And on the way home, I'm already kind of dreading the next day. <laughs> so honestly, I mean, it's, it's just the reality of it. There's, there's going to be some you like and some you don't like, but it's, it's in, invaluable to, to making these decisions. Um, so what was your kind of experience with third year and, and seeing how your specialty would fit in based on that exposure? Yeah, no, I really liked third year. It was finally when you kind of feel like you're starting to become a doctor a little bit, and then you realize just how steep the learning curve is pretty immediately. Uh, so I'll just go through some of my rotations, kind of my impressions, and some maybe just some key key, key take-home points for, for people. So I think 
for me, my very first rotation was pediatrics. It wasn't one that I was particularly interested in. I mean, I have, I worked with a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and I like working with kids, but I just had the impression that it was not going to be my favorite, which I really wish I didn't have that impression going into it. Like I said, I try to keep an open mind for a lot of these rotations, but I think I just get in the habit of kind of getting stuck in my ways a little bit and wound up kind of having that impression in terms of going into pediatrics and lo and behold, it was not necessarily my favorite favorite rotation, putting it mildly. Uh, for me, I think it was a combination of different factors. I think the first one for me is the pediatric hospital that I was working at was about an hour and 15 minutes away from where I live. So that was a huge drive to do for five, six, seven days a week in terms of getting to the hospital, driving back. Jonathan was mentioning a good test is when you're driving in and driving back, what's your mindset like? Did not have the most positive mindset going in there every single day, but it was still my very first rotation, so I had so much energy, was really enthusiastic, trying to figure out how everything works in the hospital. There's a workflow, and it's kind of seeing how, as a medical student, you can fit within that workflow to be helpful to the residents, helpful to the attendings, helpful to the nurses. And I think part of the reason why it wasn't my favorite is I just wasn't quite there yet in terms of figuring out how I can be helpful, and I don't like to feel like I'm like a burden on anybody or getting in the way, and I felt like a lot of the time I was getting in the way and not actually being a benefit to the team. I was an additional person to teach, an additional person to lug around, and really wasn't doing too much to actually benefit those around me. So I think that was part of the reasons why it wasn't necessarily my favorite rotation. I think another thing that went into that is I did not know the EMR Meditech at all. That's what the, the EMR is for the hospital where we do our, our rotations for third year by and large. And with any, there's definitely a learning curve. And for me, it was, I think I just needed to sit down and actually learn it and just stay a couple hours extra on the first couple of days and just figure out where to find things in the EMR, where to find vital signs, medication, what's ordered, read the notes, and just come up with an efficient system to navigate for it. Because if you're trying to take on two, three, four, five patients, you're going to be limited by how quickly you can kind of navigate through the, the electronic medical record, kind of see notes and understand what's going on with the patient. So definitely struggled with the commute, struggled with feeling like I really wasn't helping the team, struggled with the EMR. And then for whatever reason, I just, I did not get along with the residents. I was friendly with them. They were very nice. They took the time to teach me and everything, but I think they knew I wasn't the most interested in pediatrics. I knew I wasn't the most interested in pediatrics. I, I like kind of being camaraderie, having a good camaraderie, going back and forth, joking, being a little bit tough on each other. And it just wasn't the environment for that particular hospital. And that's not to say that's the case for every single pediatric residency there is. But I think one of the unfortunate things about medical school in third year is you're kind of locked in to the residency that you're with. So for better or for worse, your impression of a specialty is very highly influenced by the residents and the attendings that you work with. And unfortunately, that can be pretty random based on what hospitals you're assigned to, what residents are on that service for that particular month or two months that you're on. Because looking back, I could have easily have loved pediatrics if I was with an attending that was dry and sarcastic and liked to go back and forth with me. And I was with a group of residents that were really fun to be around and wanted to hang out after going to the hospital, go out and just have a great time. So I think a lot of that has to do with whether you like a specialty or not. And for me, I find it incredibly hard to parse through whether I didn't like the specialty 
or I just didn't like the team that I was with because that can make a huge impression in terms of whether you like it or not. So unfortunately, I think I, I chalked up pediatrics to being a, a no pretty early on, but it was definitely a really good learning experience. And I think it set me up more than anything for my rotations that came after that. So that's just one rotation, but those are kind of some of my thoughts in terms of everything that kind of went into it in terms of it wasn't my favorite rotation. And I think those are some of the reasons why. And I think just looking back, I should have been more open-minded to it. I should have better acquainted myself with the hospital and how to integrate into the team. Because when you feel like you're a part of a team, it's a lot easier to go to work. You feel like you value that they value you, you value them and everything is moving forward. So I think those were some, some things where just be aware of when you're going on your first rotation that can definitely make a huge difference. For sure. That's all, all excellent points, you know, and, and yeah, like a rotation can really be made or, or breaked or broken by who you're with, you know, and, and you got to take that with a grain of salt. Um, but also keep in mind that it, it does, it's, there's always exceptions to the rule, but certain personalities tend to gravitate towards certain specialties as well. Um, and we'll kind of delve into that a little bit more later, but that's something that you'll see on your own. Um, of course, it's it's not a hard fast. Every person in that one specialty is that way. But but yeah, personalities. So be on the lookout for who you mesh with, and where you feel comfortable, and and who you laugh with, and and could see yourself working with for the rest of your career. Because that's it's definitely something to consider. Um, so yeah, so I mean, the clerkships are a very valuable time as far as considering different areas of possible specialties. It can really reinforce your passion for something if you know that's what you're going into, or it could really completely show you a new passion you didn't even know you had, which was my case in psychiatry, the field that I'm ultimately pursuing. Um, so I was really glad that I went in with an open mind, even though I wasn't expecting that much at first. Um, so some common things to, like some common mistakes that third years might make um, that we want to make sure you're aware of is so maybe sometimes students will, will not fully understand the amount of t the time commitment that residents have versus students, you know, so so like certain specialties. Um, so like the ones that pop up in the, my head immediately, like uh, like psychiatry, for example, radiology, um, certain specialties will let their medical students out on the early side compared to other specialties. Um, whereas like things like surgery, um, you'll definitely have longer days. Um, and I mean, obviously that somewhat translates to the lifestyle, but also it's important to be aware of those residents aren't leaving when the students are leaving. You know, there, there are other things to keep in mind that they're still doing that uh, that you shouldn't think, okay, just because as a med student I got out on the early side, that doesn't mean as a resident you're going to be getting out early at the same way you did in, in the past. Um, and then make sure to consider things like, I mean, a lot of these residents, especially in their upper years, they're doing like call from home. They're doing like long call at the hospital. Um, so so you, you want to look into the different styles of the different lifestyles that these residents have and, and their, their responsibilities on a day-to-day -day basis and, and see does that mesh with what you personally want in the future. Um, and then another thing to keep in mind is that as a medical student, experiencing certain specialties can be different than actually doing them and being a physician in it. 
Um, so the, the most common example I see is radiology, um, where a lot of students on a radiology rotation, it's, I mean, they're, they're trying, but obviously it's, it's kind of like more watching and learning and seeing what they're doing. Um, whereas a lot of radiologists said that once they actually get a hold of a hang of what's going on, they enjoy it a lot more, and and it's it's a very rewarding specialty for a lot of people. So consider the differences between being a student and being a resident, because obviously you're there, you're seeing what their day to day is like, but it doesn't necessarily mean your exact experiences are what it would be as a resident as well. Um, and let's see, what else do we want to discuss about third year? Um, so this is a very important time where you can ask tougher questions, you know, ask real questions to the people that are living this experience every day about the residents that you could potentially become in a few years, you know, ask them what, how they like it, ask them what they wish was different. You know, I mean, it's it it can be challenging to ask these kind of questions, and you might feel a little bit awkward about it. Um, but as long as you go about phrasing things the right way, and uh, and show that you're genuinely interested in trying to learn, and trying to see is this the right specialty for me, um, that can go a long way, and people will respond well to that. Um, let's see here. So, and then, really, like we kind of already alluded to. Um, but the fact that different specialties, there's kind of different like cultures of different specialties. And there are also different, very different cultures at different programs. Um, so that's also something to keep in mind. But, um, but so when you are on a certain rotation, think about that, you know, like these people I'm around, like how am I meshing with them? You know, it's like, do I like the way that people are handling their day-to-day, -day, like like how they interact with patients. You know, I mean, it, and just seeing that specific culture can go a long way in understanding the specialty and also when it comes to applying to residencies, like is that somewhere that you'd want to be or is that not maybe somewhere you'd want to avoid? Yeah, I would definitely add in, it's really important when you're on a specific rotation to consider, put yourself in the shoes of the residents, put your shoes in... Put your feet in the shoes of the attending. See, is that something that you could actually see yourself doing? And it only takes 20 seconds to actually kind of picture it. You can do it for longer if you want, but you can get a good idea of, is this something that I actually want to be doing when I'm 30 years old, when I'm 40 years old, when I'm 50, when I'm 60? Is that something that you can do? And that's a pretty good way to kind of screen whether it's going to be a great opportunity for you. And then also I would recommend when you're actually on the rotations, really explore all the different avenues within that particular specialty, even if it's just for a day or two, see if you can mix it up a little bit. I like to give the example of when I was on my psychiatry rotation. I am not a psychiatrist. I do not pretend to be psychiatrist. <laughs> I will never be a psychiatrist. But one of my regrets of that rotation is when I was doing the inpatient psychiatry, I was on the pediatric unit for the entire time. And for me, there was just Pediatric psychiatry just did not hit home for me. It was just a specialty where I feel you're dealing with just devastating situations. You have patients that have the possible diagnosis of schizophrenia, bipolar, and these are just absolutely life-changing diagnoses that are going to impact how their family treats them, what medications they're on for the rest of their life, their opportunities moving forward, and just how they're going to operate as a human within society. 
And for me, just for whatever reason, psychiatry and the diagnostic criteria, a lot of it is kind of checklist based, going through the DSM-5, seeing if they meet the criteria for it. For me, it just, it never sat right with me. Like, I feel like I could debate whether these are a psychotic episode or not versus the attending who was very clear and distinct in terms of saying, this is what the diagnosis is. It definitely meets these criteria. But for me, I think it was just the fact that I was around kids. It felt really hard to actually ascribe those criteria to the children. And it just, it was really tough for me to kind of buy into that and kind of picture myself doing that. Like I said, when I'm 40, 50, 60 years old. So that was my, my large experience when I was on psychiatry. And the benefit of hindsight, I wish I would have gone to a non-pediatric psych- psychiatric unit and really explore kind of all the different avenues within psychiatry because I really got pigeonholed into that one view and it was not for me. But I never really had the opportunity to go and kind of see more of an adult psychiatric patient population interacting with those patients. Is that something that might resonate a little bit more with me? And obviously I gave the example of psychiatry, but the same can be said in terms of internal medicine. Uh, Maybe internal medicine isn't your favorite, but you just absolutely love cardiology, gastroenterology, you love pulmonology, and that's your passion. And you have to go through the three years of internal medicine training to go there. But you know what? You did the kind of reach out. You kind of saw what that field was like. And you're like, you know what? This is exactly what I want to do with my life. I can go through three years of internal medicine to do what my passion is, what I feel like I can be motivated to go to work in the morning, feel like I'm helping out as many people as possible and have a fulfilling life. So I feel like when you're on these rotations, it's pretty easy to just think, oh, I got assigned to this service. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try to rock the boat at all. You're not really rocking the boat. Obviously, there's some people who don't like change and you just have to deal with them on an individual basis. But by and large, if you go to one of the attendings, you go to one of the residents and say, hey, I want to explore cardiology for a day. Is it all right if I do that at some point during my eight-week rotation? Or you're on your psychiatry rotation. It's like, I see I got assigned to pediatrics. Is there a possibility to kind of go to more of the acute psychotic patients and more of an adult population? That way you're really getting kind of a, a whole view of, of each an individual specialty so you can make an informed decision. Definitely. All, all incredible insight. Um, and it is tough. It's a lot to think about. And, you know, it's, it's a big decision. Um, so normally, as far as a timeline goes, um, so your ERAS applications for residency, I mean, that's due at the end of September in your fourth year. Um, so normally by the end of like your third year, I mean, hopefully you have a, you've made up your mind on <laughs> where you're going. I mean, hopefully even sooner than that. So that way you can like really cater your, like your resume towards that. Um, but obviously, so in my personal experience, um, so I, I was going through different rotations in third year, trying to figure out, okay, what is my calling? What am I good at? And um, it was taking a while. I was going through different things. Like I, my first rotation was surgery. Um, absolutely not for me. <laughs> that was the one that I was like dreading coming to and from, unfortunately. Um, but that's just my personality. It just, it, it just wasn't for me. Um, and then I went into internal med and then I, I felt okay about it. I was like, at least it's open-ended. Um, but there still wasn't that passion. Um, and then, and then I, so I was like, okay, maybe that kind of keeping going through and keeping an open mind, um, went through my OB guy in rotation, 
Um, that one, I immediately knew that wasn't for me either. Um, and then, you know, it's, but I, I still made a point to, to consider myself in my attending shoes, um, seeing what the residents are like, seeing what they're doing every day and if it'd be something for me. Um, but, but yeah, that, that wasn't for me as well. Um, and did primary care. I thought it was, it was cool, but, um, it just wasn't, I, I wanted something that was going to be like fresh and, and exciting. Um, and towards the end of my primary care rotation, it just, it felt like it was a lot of the same. Um, so, so just looking at myself, I just knew that there would be something better as far as what's going to keep me happy long-term, like what's my actual calling. Um, and so, so the year kept going, you know, I was going through my different rotations and then my very, very last rotation of my third year was psychiatry. Um, and immediately I was like, wow, this is exciting. There's always something interesting going on. Um, it's, you really get to know your patients on a level that I just wasn't able to do in other specialties. Um, and that's something that I've always valued as a person. I love to ask in deep questions, in depth questions. Um, I love to get to know people and why they feel the way that they do. Um, so, so then ultimately, but between that and just seeing the, the life that the people around me are living, how they're interacting with patients, um, how they're interacting with the attendings, what, what they're doing on the day to day. And, and it just really meshed, um, with everything I was looking for. So thankfully I was like, whew, thank goodness. At least I, I found what I'm supposed to be doing here. Cause I was kind of freaking out. I'm almost at the end of, it's almost time to apply to residencies. Um, and, but I, so it was definitely, um, better late than never. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it hopefully it'll, it'll happen in time. You just, you just got to keep an open mind and, and you'll find what's there. Oh, for sure. My fiance is definitely jealous of that and wants you to teach me the skills of enjoying and talking to the patients and, and everything like that. Cause I do enjoy doing it, but I think one of my faults in life is I just like immediately just try to solve the problem before the problem is fully known. So as soon as like my fiance starts complaining about like anything, I, I brand it complaining. She's just venting and exploring and everything. I just try to solve the problem right away, which doesn't always roll over in the, in the very best manner. But I think for me, it kind of, it goes well with, with surgery. You kind of a lot for surgery, a lot of time the problem is given to you and you have to fix it. Granted, there's some types of surgery where you're doing a lot of diagnostic aspects, more of a general surgeon, but for orthopedics, by and large, a lot of times the problem is provided to you and your job is to fix the problem. So I think that kind of fit with my personality quite well and I can kind of start planning as soon as the x-ray doesn't necessarily look how it's supposed to look. So yeah, and definitely thank you for sharing all your experience with those rotations. I know everybody is is so very different. I've spoken a little bit about my pediatrics one, talked about my psychiatry one, and even on the rotations that weren't necessarily my favorite, I feel like I, I learned a lot from them and I learned something both in terms of medicine and about myself as a person. So we kind of, like I said, we went through those two. On my OB rotation, I think that was still, that was probably my second favorite rotation overall. I mean, I actually considered going into OB for a quick second until my wife said absolutely, or my fiance <laughs> said absolutely no. So she joked, but I did consider it for a little while. I think for me, I got really along really well with the attending. Uh, just the feeling when you deliver, a, when somebody delivers a baby, it's just, it's really special. There's really nothing comparable to that, that I've really experienced on any of my rotations. All of a sudden there's just a brand new life in the room, starts crying and 
it just feels it feels phenomenal and you're just happy for the family and it just feels great so i did consider that briefly but after after my ob rotation i had that was family medicine i think i kind of felt similar to you when it came to to family medicine where you're doing a lot and it's definitely an underappreciated specialty and you're doing so much and more and more there's just so much pressure put on a lot of the family medicine doctors primary care doctors to be more preventative and measure in terms of preventing illnesses as they come up as opposed to actually treating the illnesses. And it takes a really special person to be that dedicated to their specific field because in my opinion, once you kind of know everything, you know, okay, this person has diabetes, these are the medications, this is kind of the algorithm you're going along, but it's really tough to, to speak to somebody and motivate them to consider diet, exercise, especially when it's something that they've been doing their entire life. So it's just a field where it's got so much possibility, so many opportunities to do well for patients where they don't need to see any of these specialists down the road. But for me, it's just, for me, a lot of it is locus of control too. I feel like in primary care, we talk really aspirationally about motivating these patients and we really want them to, to exercise, to take their medications if they need it and everything. But unfortunately, a lot of these patients you maybe see once a year, every other year, once every five years, once every 10 years or something like that. So it's really tough when you really want to do what's best for your patient, but they don't always see everything in the exact same way that you do. And so you put in so much time, so much effort. And for me, it would just be demoralizing to have that day in and day out. So seeing that it didn't necessarily register with me, but it's just, it's such an interesting field. And I think it can be really expanded and it's such a robust area in terms of kind of present preventing disease before they actually happen. And I think that's going to be the focus more and more moving forward, not just with with primary care family medicine, but kind of across medicine overall. And then after that is when I finally had my, my surgery rotation. And I really liked my surgery rotation. The hours were, were very long, worked really hard, but it was really interesting to, to be in the OR, to see these different patients. Obviously, there's aspects that I, I didn't necessarily like and personalities don't always get along. And there definitely is a personality when it comes to surgery. But Fortunately, by and large, everybody I worked with was really phenomenal. And some of the interns that I worked with on my surgery rotation are going to be people that I'm going to remember working with for the rest of my life. And it was just spectacular working with them on that rotation. So I think that did a lot to, to affirm that, you know what, I think I'm, I'm going down the right avenue. I'm not actually able to do the surgeries, but I'm in there suctioning smoke like nobody's <laughs> business and holding a, a laparoscopic camera like I'm a professional Italian photographer and I'm not shooting the gallbladder as I'm supposed to, as my hand gets flapped to, to move it if I ever fell asleep at all. But it was definitely a, a great experience and kind of reaffirmed what I liked. But I think it also let me know that I was definitely more interested in orthopedics as opposed to, to general surgery and definitely put me on more towards that path of, of definitely being certain. And then my last two, sorry, I feel like I'm going all nostalgic no, on, my, on, on my third year. <laughs> was internal medicine. And it's such an interesting thing where you're just exposed to absolutely everything. And you can see so many different areas. It gives you the option to specialize after three years if you really love any of the subspecialties in cardiology, gastroenterology, pulmonology, endocrine. You just have that flexibility that is really unique to internal medicine compared to a lot. But for me, when it came to internal medicine, I loved the people I was around, I loved the medicine, and I hated the rounding. The rounding was just absolutely unbearable for me. 
And once she'd been rounding for three hours in the day, I'm somebody who likes to kind of get things going. And I felt like we were kind of spinning our wheels around. And it's like, we can read about this a little bit later on in the day. Let's just keep moving right now. So definitely something that I really enjoyed it. I couldn't round over three hours a day in when I'm 30, 40, 50 years old. So definitely fun to do. Great group of people that I worked with, but I knew that it was just never going to work for me. And then my very last one, we have electives in our third year and I was on a track that had anesthesia as an elective which I thought was really cool because in medical school I never really got exposed to anesthesia and what they necessarily do. You learn a little bit about the pharmacology of the medications but you really don't go into it and it was really cool to see how procedural based it was. You're in the OR similar to surgery and everything like that but I think at that point the ship had already sailed and I was already ready to go for, for orthopedics so Again, me being a little bit nostalgic about my medical school career, but there's definitely great things about each and every specialty, and it's just figuring out which one fits you the best. Definitely. And thank you for that insight, because all the, I mean, it's it's very valuable. And yeah, I mean, third year is pivotal. You know, I mean, it's, it really just, without that exposure, it's nearly impossible to make the right decision for you. Um, something I did want to make sure that we discuss as well is the fact that if you are undecided, um, it's like going through your, your third year, um, you need to at least come up and narrow it down to a few possibilities. See what you like, which that's easy enough to do. Like, uh, so I personally was kind of on the fence between psychiatry and internal med for a little while. Um, so if you are on the fence, if you are, cons are considering multiple specialties, you need you need to get letters of rec in both of them because if you're going to apply one or the other but you're undecided or you might do a parallel plan and apply to both, um, you're going to need letters of rec from people in that field who are strong and will support you for any application you have. So, so you definitely want to make sure to plan ahead. Don't be scrambling at the very end, emailing a bunch of people about that later on. So, so that's something to keep in mind when you are no noticing it's a field you're liking. And if you think it's a possibility that you're going to try and pursue that field, make sure to, to get a letter of rec committed whenever you have the opportunity to. That's very important. Um, so yeah, so as far as the timeline, getting back to that, um, so end of the third year, most people have it figured out. Um, so you, the end of September in your fourth year, you got to have those apps out. You're submitting to ERAS. Um, so you do have some time before then. Um, in the fourth year, you can do some audition rotations, uh, sub-internships. And so those, if you're still unsure, you can utilize those as a way to, to really try and help finalize and feel, get that extra exposure um, and also, your sub-I is going to be the closest you're going to, the closest experience you'll have in med school that is most similar to being a resident. Um, they ask more of you, um, they give you some more autonomy, um, and a lot of more responsibility necessarily than in your core third year. Um, and and honestly, it's it's a very insightful time, and it's exciting and fun if it's something you're interested in. Um, and it really just will give you that extra insight that you might need um, in regards to what your right specialty is. Um, and then I also wanted to discuss um, if you're in the unfortunate position of being undecided when ERAS is due. 
Um, so that's most people don't have that issue, but um, I do know some people that had that happen. Um, and so there, there are a few ways to go about it. Um, so there's something called a parallel plan, which you can consider. consider it. So if you're stuck between two or three fields, um, so you, that's where you apply to multiple specialties. Um, so they call it a parallel plan because it's not like one's a backup for the other. Um, and so if you do, like ultimately, or you're still stuck, you do a parallel plan, that will, uh, that will give you the option to con keep considering, get more exposure throughout your fourth year. And then when you submit your rank list, that's kind of how you're ultimately going to decide what specialty you want. Um, either ranking a specific specialty only or the, the, the one you, you want higher up on the list compared to the other ones. Um, however, a parallel plan has a lot of negatives to it. Um, it's a heck of a lot more work um, when you think about doing a parallel plan. It does buy you more time, um, which is quite useful um, if you're in that predicament, but you need to realize that you're writing two personal statements. Um, you're making two different lists of residency. You're researching, basically, you're doubling the work that you would have to do to apply to one program if you're going to apply to two. Um, and you got to make sure that your resume does not scream one specialty when you're applying another one. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a fine balancing act to make sure that you're, you're authentic, you're being genuine, um, but you're, you still, a, a huge factor of, for program directors is, is this applicant actually dedicated to the specialty that, that we're going, we're training them in, um, because they want to keep you, they want you to do well. Um, so, so it, if you do a parallel plan, keep in mind that you need to make sure your application is broad enough to apply to both fields, but then you better have killer personal statements and really show why you're dedicated to both of those fields. Um, so there's definitely some some ups and downs to doing that, but it is an option. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah, that definitely reminded me of, I like to look at some medical memes from every now and then, and there was the one is, please tell me how your dermatology research has informed your interest in anesthesiology. So... There's definitely going to be some attendings that when you're interviewing or residents that you're interviewing are going to give you a little bit of a tough time if you do have the dual plan. And the bottom line is they understand that there are some specialties that are extremely difficult to get into and people should have a parallel plan for those in terms of saying, you know what, I can be just as happy if I do this specialty, but you know, this one might be kind of my 1A, this one's my 1B. And just understanding from that perspective. So I always, I always get a little bit of a, a smirk whenever I think of that, that particular meme because I don't know how your dermatology research has informed your interest in anesthesiology. But if there is an anesthesiologist that can answer that question, I am happy, happy to hear the, the explanation. So that's definitely, definitely true. And just thinking about myself, I did not do a parallel plan. But if I did, I, just, I feel like that would be just so incredibly stressful. So I am definitely in awe of the people that were able to, to pull off the parallel plan. Just... The amount of extra work that you have to go into, Jonathan has already alluded to it, but just the concept of getting pretty much doubled the letter of recommendations, where you need to get the letter of recommendations for one specialty and the other specialty. You want to do rotations for both of those, so you're pretty much doubling up on the rotations that you have to do. So there's just so much additional that goes into it, and 
if you could kind of, what am I saying? Favorite sayings is a stitch in time saves nine. So if you just get kind of figure out where you want to go and you're really honest with yourself and you can make that decision a little bit earlier, you can save yourself a lot of hassle with the parallel plan. That being said, there's a lot of people that, you know what, they just cannot decide. They're interested in so many different things. Or alternatively, there's people who are just not interested in anything. There's people who kind of select their final couple of specialties by saying, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, and it's not this. And then they're kind of left with the leftover where they would be happy going into any of those particular fields. So it definitely complicates things. It doesn't make it impossible, but especially for, for me, I don't think my personality and would be able to handle that. And I think I'd be pretty cranky to be around if I was dealing with a, a whole bunch of different moving parts at the exact same time. And I think the eternal fear of me submitting a, say a dermatology letter of recommendation to an anesthesiology position would just wake me up in the middle of the night. So definitely doable, but gosh, I, you have to be quite the person to do that. And I, I envy everybody who's, or I, I don't envy them. I just, it's just incredible that people were able to, to kind of coordinate all of that and end up where, in a great spot for themselves. That is an excellent point. Because yeah, if, if you do decide to ultimately pursue a parallel plan and buy yourself more time if you're in this predicament, make sure to stay very organized because you're going to have multiple personal statements. You're going to have multiple letters of rec. I mean, you and you need to assign each specific letter, each personal statement to like each specific program gets assigned the specific things. And uh, I mean, the, the list gets huge at a certain point. So you need to be you need to double, triple check that you're assigning the right letters and, and essays to the right programs, because otherwise you're immediately counting yourself out there. So yeah, keep in mind you are, if it is an option, but it's definitely far from ideal um, because you're you're doubling the work, and then that doesn't even get into how much more of a burden interview season becomes, because now you're gonna get twice as many interview offers, and you're you really gotta like figure out okay, what am I gonna do? You're gonna have to prioritize certain programs. Um, so, but I mean, normally by the time interviews run around, it's you bought yourself more time that you can at least hopefully be closer. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's definitely kind of a, a rough option as far as timeline goes. Um, neither of us have a lot of experience with this, but, um, but people have in the past done like research years. Um, but I mean, that's definitely not recommended. That would be, um, a very last resort, um, which I don't think happens very often. Um, at the end of the day, you got to trust your gut and just go with whatever makes you happiest and, and just trust yourself. You know yourself best. Yeah. And when it comes to, to the research years, it's definitely not an ideal situation for a lot of people, but I know for some specialties, it's becoming more and more of just something that you might just have to do. And things that are coming to mind, orthopedics, it's becoming quite common to do a research year between your third and your fourth year, or doing a research year after you graduate in order to get that done. Um, additionally, I think neurosurgery, urology, ophthalmology, some of those specialties, it's becoming quite common. Some people even do two research years for those just to make sure that they're competitive within that particular specialty, or if they have a, a large passion for research in that area. And, they want to practice both as a clinician and as a researcher. So it's definitely specialty specific. 
And I think everybody has a different kind of propensity when it comes to those research years. And not all research years are created exactly the same. If you do elect for that option, there's a lot of different ways to go about doing it. There's different programs and different researchers that have different approaches of how they incorporate medical students within that particular research and how they how they optimize the research year for them. But I think a lot of people who elect to have a research year, again, there's exceptions to every rule. Most people are doing the research year because they have a specific specialty in mind and less so than they are not exactly sure what specialty they want to go into. So they're going to do one because at that point, say you do the research year and you don't necessarily like that. It's tough because you dedicated so much time to that particular specialty. But on the other hand, you can look at it and say, hey, I got some research out of this. I developed my critical thinking skills. I was able to get some publications out of it or make some really good connections. And even though it's not necessarily going to perfectly serve me in the field that I now want to go into, it was definitely a fantastic learning experience. But again, while research years are becoming more common, I don't know if they're necessarily a fantastic idea for someone who's kind of undecided about their specialty. Thank you for bringing that up, Matt. All excellent points. And I, I totally agree. Yeah, there are certain specialties that if you know you're going into, some people might have to do that in order to obtain a residency spot. And that is completely understandable. And But what I was talking about was using that as a, as a way, avenue of still being undecided. Um, definitely not advisable. I mean, I've heard of some people like doing a transitional year um, as a potential option to at least get some years going. And then that's, that's open-ended and you could take that in a few different ways as well. Um, but again, the earlier you can decide, the better. Um, and we're kind of going to go to, through some different ways that you can try and start narrowing it down. Um, and again, it's, it's a big decision, um, but it's an important one that, that you got to make. And the sooner you can make that decision, the, the better off you're going to be. Um, so, so there are a few different ways and a few different questions you might want to ask yourself if you're starting to try and narrow down options on what your future specialty may be. Um, so the first one that I want to bring up is really what kind of patient interaction do you want to have? How do you want to interact with patients on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, so, because different specialties have different amount of, of levels that they interact with patients. Um, so for example, forming deeper relationships with patients. So, I mean, things like primary care, um, outpatient psychiatry, for example. Um, and those really allow you to, to get to know a patient very well, um, form long-lasting relationships where they trust you, where, I mean, you can really make a meaningful impact on, on their lives potentially. But that doesn't at all mean that other specialties where have any less impact, but it just depends what you find the most gratifying. Um, whereas, so whereas some specialties allow for deeper relationships, um, there are others that have more limited patient interaction. Um, things like, like radiology and pathology, um, which are both have tremendous impact on health outcomes and really impact patient care. Um, but it really, you need to take a look inside of yourself and see, like, what, how do I want to interact with patients on a day-to-day? -day? Am I a people person? Am I more reserved and into kind of being by myself? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that in terms of just kind of understanding what you like and what how that applies to the different specialties that, that you're looking into. 
Um, another thing, kind of just understanding work-life balance. And for me, work-life balance isn't always the best term because everything in life is comes down to a matter of priority, but there is some kind of balance that you can, can try to try to make out of it. And you just know like the hours, the scheduling of different specialties, the demands on a general trauma surgeon are different than the demands on a primary care doctor. Um, and people deal with the specific demands of those specialties differently. So a lot of trauma surgeons love the fact that it's kind of life or death situation. They enjoy the quick decision making and they would go absolutely crazy as a family medicine doctor, outpatient, and they might start flipping tables. <laughs> I have some people in mind, I'm not going to name names, but then kind of the flip side of things, some family medicine doctors, they deal with the pressure of having to deal with patients that aren't the most compliant with them. They rarely come in and a lot of them are being metric based on how well their patients are doing and a lot of that is outside of their control and that's extremely stressful. It definitely keeps them up at night and kind of worried about their patients and also they have to consider in terms of work-life balance, a lot of their job has to do with charting and making sure you're kind of billing everything appropriately, documenting what the patient had to say and that doesn't just happen when you're in the exam room with patients, that can happen when you're at home at night. Whereas a lot of trauma surgeons, once they're kind of done with the hospital, they're able to go home and they're not on call. They can, they can go home and relax a little bit. So each specialty definitely has specific demands when it comes to the hours, the schedule, the nature of the work, whether that's compatible with what you want or not. And it's definitely something that you have to be aware of in terms of kind of each specialty has a unique balance when it, when it comes to that. And then another thing to consider is just kind of burnout and everybody has different things that contribute to, to their burnout in terms of burnout being kind of emotionally exhausted from your job, um, not kind of having the same passion that you did to perform as it as you normally would, kind of referring to burnout there. So again, I kind of alluded it to before, but kind of the mechanism of burnout for a trauma surgeon might be different than the mechanism of burnout for say a psychiatrist. It's definitely different demands on them in terms of kind of mentally, physical, you're dealing with different patient populations and that can definitely take a toll in a different way. So you really have to understand in terms of how do you prevent burnout? How do you kind of stay rooted to yourself, engaged in your job, engaged in your community, with your family and everything like that too. And for some people going to work as a trauma surgeon actually prevents burnout for them. I don't know necessarily how they do that as a general trauma surgeon. It's amazing to me, but there's a lot of them that do get burnt out and a lot of them have to cope with that. And sometimes it's really difficult to cope with it because some of them can be very competitive people. They keep it close to themselves and it's not necessarily the most healthy all the time. So really have to understand kind of what contributes to your burnout. Is there one specialty that you know it's just going to be just grinding on you and you're not going to be able to live as a fulfilling life as you want to? Are you going to be burnt out 24-7 versus, say, another field where the cause of the burnout isn't necessarily the same and you're better able to cope with that? So really understanding kind of all the different things that make you tick, things that contribute to your burnout is incredibly valuable when you're making the decision between a whole host of different different specialties that you can go into. 100%. And burnout is very real. It looks different for everybody. Um, but really, I think one of the, the best ways to like try and avoid it is to really just take a look at yourself and think, okay, what gives me energy? You know, I mean, because you gotta, you gotta be able to whatever specialty you end up choosing, it's got to be something that you 
can be completely overworked, exhausted, like not at all, just completely over being at the hospital. And you still have to be able to give 100% of yourself towards improving the health of your patients and give everything you have. Um, so so you got to just, just, no one can answer that question for you, but find what is going to keep you motivated and give you that energy when you have, your tank is running on empty, so to speak. Um, and again, it's super, super important to to look into what the lifestyle is of both residents and attendings. You know, I mean, obviously every attending can kind of have some more flexibility than residents do, um, but it's it's really very interesting to to speak with different attendings on how their schedule works um, and kind of understand what their quality of life is going to be once you reach that light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, and become a full-on graduating residency and becoming an attending. Um, so it's it's definitely a big factor is work life balance that you want to consider, and that'll that'll definitely help narrow down um, some specialty options for you. Um, the next big question, um, when I was talking to a mentor, like trying to figure out what direction am I going to want to go, um, was like a first easy question that, well, at least for most people is either surgical or non-surgical. Like how many, or do you want a procedure heavy, um, specialty or do you want to do like office, office-based care or something along those lines that, that don't really have any procedures, um, so it's so interesting how differently people can perceive that really all of medicine. Um, but it's, it's a very kind of normally it's a more cut and dry thing where either you're really into procedures or you're really not. Um, was that the case with you, Matt, or have, what did you think? Yeah, I think for me, I just, I loved being in the OR and when I was, like I said, I kind of always had my mind on orthopedic surgery, but when I was on my general surgery rotation too, I just loved being in the OR. And then it kind of came down to what do I like doing in the OR? And after I saw, I think my like 10th cholecystectomy, I'm like, I can't look at another gallbladder <laughs> again for a long, long time. So I think that steered me more towards, towards orthopedics. But for me, it was, I've always enjoyed working with my hands. I grew up playing sports. Hockey was huge for me growing up. I started playing when I was four years old and grew up playing baseball as well. I think I started when I was five year old, five years old for baseball. So, I mean, I always just enjoyed physical, physical activity, doing stuff with my hands. Um, just really enjoyed that. And that really translated over to, to surgery and orthopedic surgery specifically. But just because you like doing procedures doesn't mean surgery is necessarily the, the perfect option for you. There's a host of other specialties that don't initially jump to mind to a lot of people that are very procedure heavy. You get to do a lot with your hands, but it doesn't quite have the same demands associated with it as a surgical specialty or subspecialty. So I know interventional radiology is definitely one where it's very procedure heavy and you can be kind of very involved in a lot of different care, depending on what kind of avenue down interventional radiology you go down. A lot of procedures there. Anesthesia has a ton of different procedures in terms of there's the intubations, airway management, everything to go go along those ways. Then you have some of the smaller ones where you put in A-lines, IVs, everything like that. So for people that do enjoy working with their hands but absolutely did not want to go into surgery, there's a host of other really awesome specialties that you can go into that definitely give you the, the ability to work with your hands and kind of the 
the great feeling that kind of comes with kind of doing working with your hands and kind of doing something from that perspective that aren't just pure surgical in nature too. So I think that's definitely something to, to consider when it comes to surgical versus non-surgical. That's an excellent point, Matt. Thank you for bringing that up. And yeah, it's, it's so true. Um, it's doesn't necessarily have to be a yes or no answer. You know, I mean, there, there is a mix of, of some procedures in medical in non-surgical specialties. Um, so, I mean, specifically, you mentioned IR, which exactly. Um, OB-GYN, another one where it's, they ha- do a lot of procedures, but yet they're also in the office a lot. So, I mean, if, if both excite you and you want to be able to, to have that combination, um, that's, that's definitely something to consider as well. Um, and then also make sure to, to keep in mind that even if, like, it's not surgical, there can still be other procedures, or even if a, a specialty is not, like, surgical, like we were saying with IR, that's an option that you still get a lot of procedures. Um, but you can also still go into things like IM, which is not considered procedure-heavy, but then you can subspecialize, like I on GI or pulmonology, um, and then uh, also interventional cardiology is very procedure heavy. So I mean, you know, there there are a lot of options. Um, so so don't think okay, I like procedures only surgery. That's that's an excellent point, and I really appreciate you bringing that up, Matt. For sure, and even taking the example of OBGYN as a specialty too. It, it affords you the flexibility. Like I said, you kind of step in the attending shoes and kind of see if that's something you want to do because OBGYN has the option of being pretty much entirely outpatient if you just want to focus on gynecology. A lot of people get involved with obstetrics early on in their career. It's a good way to make some money. You're involved in the hospital. But some people will reach a point where they just don't want to be on call. They don't want to be called to the hospital to at all hours of the night, they have different things going on in their life that they value more than that. And then they can transition their practice to be more just gynecology where you have clinic hours, you're working when you're working and you're not working when you're not working. So it affords you that flexibility. And that's like, like we were mentioning during your third year rotations, just start talking to some of these attendings in terms of lifestyle. And you have that option. If you're on your OB rotation, ask, well, how often do you have to go in to do an obstetrics dental delivery? Anything along those lines is, there's still the possibility that maybe you can just be entirely outpatient, do focus more on gynecology and see, is that something you're interested in? Because a lot of people love the idea of obstetrics, but maybe when they're 40, 50 years old or they have an extended family, that might not be as exciting to them as it is right now. So understanding that there is that option to kind of do more clinical and it's not just for OB. So say for orthopedics, if you don't want to operate quite as much as you used to, you can do more outpatient orthopedic and see some more sports medicine type cases, anything like that. So there's definitely kind of the headlines in terms of what people initially think about specialties. But if you kind of explore them a little bit further, you can realize there's definitely different areas where you can craft your practice and understand that there's going to be some trade-offs if you do that. But there's definitely some, some great options where if you like working with your hands, but you can't see yourself doing that for the rest of your life, you can kind of pivot maybe at some point in your career to doing something a little bit different. Beautifully said, Matt. Excellent point and definitely something that, that we should all, or anyone considering specialties should keep in mind. Um, so another question that would be useful for you to ask yourself when you're trying to narrow it down would be, what patient population do you want to work with? You know, I mean, who, who do you naturally find it easier to, to interact with, or who do you get along with well? 
So, I mean, you can think, like, are you a kid person? Do you, do you just interact with kids well and, and make them laugh? Um, are you really good with elderly patients? And, and maybe you could consider a, a primary care setting where you're, you're helping a lot of elderly patients. I mean, that's, that's totally an option. Um, so me personally, um, this question helped me out tremendously. Um, so I was asking myself, okay, what, what type of patient population do I want to work with? Um, and honestly, it went back to my experiences before medical school um, that really showed me um, that I'm very passionate about working with stigmatized and marginalized popula populations. Um, so personally, I worked as a community health worker in, during my gap years, um, and I was able to, to speak with anyone who would talk to me about their health. Um, and that kind of lended itself to a lot of low SES people, um, a lot of homeless people, a lot of veterans, a lot of people with mental illness. Um, and just having that experience of, of interacting with these, a lot of stigmatized populations on an almost daily basis, um, it, and hearing their stories and their priorities and what challenges them, um, that really just gave me a basis for, as soon as I realized, like, hey, when I'm in psychiatry, like, you are helping people that are severely stigmatized, that are just marginalized left and right, um, it, it really just helped me, it like clicked in my head that this is where I'm supposed to be as well. That was, that was definitely something. So, so yeah, I would say patient population is a very important factor to consider. Um, and then also, you know, I completely agree with kind of understanding the patient population that you're dealing with. And similar to Jonathan, I really enjoyed when I was on my psychiatry rotation, granted, kind of went into the specifics of why pediatrics wasn't necessarily my favorite, but felt really good kind of stabilizing some of these acutely psychotic patients that couldn't help themselves. But then the more I thought about it, like I just, for me personally, I think it would just grade on me over time more than any other specialty for psychiatry, just kind of dealing with that day in and day out. And a lot of it for psychiatry for me personally was a lot of the people just based on their conditions really didn't want to help themselves out. And that's just for me really tough to deal with because I really want to do well by my patients. I really want to see them improve and do phenomenally well for themselves. And if they don't have that same buy-in, it's really tough for me when I'm trying to save for psychiatry. If I was given all the different medications, trying my very best. And then in the back of my mind, I knew as soon as they left the hospital or as soon as they left the psychiatric unit, they were going to go back to pretty much exactly the same way that they were for me. Granted, it's not going to be every patient like that, but for me, that was just really great on me. And for orthopedic surgery, I just really like the fact that, I mean, I love pediatric orthopedics, trauma orthopedics. I'm really undecided within the field itself, but by and large, when somebody has a broken bone or something wrong musculoskeletally, a lot of times they really want to get better. Mm -hmm. So say you have a kid that comes in with a broken arm, the kid's hurt, the kid really wants to get that bone fixed, the mom and dad want to get that bone fixed. And then you kind of have everybody on the exact same page, which for me is just really nice in terms of people are like buying into the outcomes. And of course, it's different for everybody. There's some people who don't want to get their knee fixed or anything like that. And I can totally understand that. But I feel like by and large, as a specialty, people with orthopedic type injuries really want to get better. And I like helping them kind of find a way to, to get better from that perspective. Because 
when I'm in the ED and somebody's screaming because they have a broken arm, I can usually assume there's going to be some buy-in that they want their broken arm fixed. So that's just one less battle for me to have to deal with and one less thing for me to have to kind of think and, and manage on a, on a day-in and day-out basis because I think that would just really grate on me at home over time and I'm sure I would vent about it all the time and it would definitely contribute to burnout for me whereas kind of going into kind of acute fractures from a trauma service for me is really exciting where you can kind of fix a broken bone kind of understand how it went back together the patient gets put in a cast and gradually over time they're going to be back to normal or back to what their their new normal is going to be whereas psychiatry you don't always kind of get those outcomes so again I think there's bad outcomes in every specialty, but I feel like orthopedics just, like I said, for whatever reason, sometimes things just resonate with you, and, and it certainly did for me. And that's that's really the beauty of medicine, you know, because everyone's going to have a different personality. Um, and Matt makes extremely justifiable points that makes a lot of sense for him personally. Um, but the beauty of it is that we all get to pick our own track and see what direction we want to go and see what makes us happy. Um, and for me, I just, I find the challenge of a patient that doesn't want to get better, that keeps coming back to address that and figure out a way to, to help keep them out of the psych ward, I think is thrilling. And I mean, just the, the way that you can take someone acutely psychotic and help stabilize them to the way they don't even seem like the same person almost. Um, it's, it's something that, that I was just in awe of. So, I mean, just the, the beauty of this entire thing is that you just got to look inside you and see what's right for you. Um, that's, I think that's at the end of the day, that's the main takeaway we're going to give you today. Um, and so I also wanted to jump back as far as thinking about the patient population that you want to treat. Um, I heard some good advice from a physician um, that when, when I was pondering this about, okay, what patient population do I want? Um, it, you want to consider in a potential specialty that you're thinking about, what would a difficult patient be like in that specialty? And then can you realistically see yourself dealing with that? So, so I mean, for psychiatry, the answer for a lot of medical students would be absolutely no. I cannot see myself deal with that. Um, however, for me, it was a different case, you know? So I think it's a very useful exercise and thing to ponder in yourself about you know, what What can you handle? What do you want to see on a daily basis? And what don't you want to see on a daily basis, more importantly? Um, and then, let's see, you also want to consider the type of environment that you want to, that you could see yourself working in throughout your career. Um, so, I mean, obviously that can be adjusted in a lot of different specialties, um, but it's still something that you want to consider when, when you're trying to figure out what kind of a physician you want to be when you, when you grow up, so to speak. Um, so, I mean, you, get, you have your inpatient settings, outpatient. You could have a hybrid of both where you see patients in the office and you go to the hospital as well. And, I mean, now there's the beauty of telemed is a giant bonus that, especially in psychiatry, people are absolutely loving the, th the idea of. Um, obviously, it's a developing um, like environment, you know, there's, there's still going to be a lot of changes with it. Um, but there's a lot of promise in, especially in relation to the business aspects of telemedicine. Um, do you have anything that you want to touch on in environment or? No, I think that's, that's important to consider. And 
kind of joke in my head a little bit in terms of I wonder if some people pick psychiatry in our class just because they can maybe do a little bit of consulting from a beach house or on vacation or something <laughs> like that. So I have my suspicions, but it definitely is something really important to consider. And on a more serious note, I think it was, must have been in our second or third, I think it must have been our second year, we had a hematologist oncologist came in and spoke to our entire class about his practice and he was pretty much entirely telemed and the concept of doing hematology oncology entirely from a remote position really just never occurred to me and then he just outlined it i mean you don't necessarily need to be face to face with the patient a lot of their diagnoses are are lab based so you need somebody to get the blood and everything like that but to interpret it can very much be done in a remote position so that's definitely something that's very exciting, but then you kind of jump to the immediate question of hematologists, oncologists, oftentimes you're going to be, have to be breaking some very severe and very bad news. And how does telemed lend itself to that? Is, is that something that you want to do over a Zoom platform, over just any kind of conferencing, or is that something you want to do face-to-face -face with the person? So it's definitely an exciting area, and I think there's definitely areas that need to be ironed out, but I think it's just going to become integrated more and more in just about any specialty that, that lends itself to it, whether it's psychiatry, as you mentioned, Jonathan, hematology, oncology is definitely one, family medicine, where you can have people just kind of call in and be able to see them remotely. And it's just a, a huge benefit from a lot of perspectives, convenience, uh, infection control. You don't have to have somebody who is symptomatic come into the office in order to be seen. So it's definitely expanding, and I'll be curious to see how it, it evolves in some different specialties moving forward. 100%. And, yeah, it's it's an exciting time. It's very interesting. And you also want to, I mean, it's something that, that you can consider down the road too, but, like, depending on the patient population you're working with, like, is telemed a realistic possibility? You know, I mean, if you're working with, a, like, a Medicare population, for example, I don't know how well telemed might necessarily work. Um, so that's that's also something to keep in mind. But yeah, it's it's very exciting to see the the different options that are available. There you learn something new every day about the way the medicine's evolving and it's thrilling. It truly, truly is. Um, so yeah, so those are some useful questions as far as to help narrow down some specialties if you're if you're having trouble decision making on that. So again, those questions would be. How do you want to interact with your patients? What kind of a work-life balance do you want to have as, an, as a resident and as an attending? Um, do you want a specialty that is, has procedures, that has some, has none? Um, what kind of patient population do you want to treat and work with on a daily basis? And then what kind of environment do you see yourself working in? So the combination of those can really kind of help narrow down, and I found those personally to be very useful. Um, so the next area that I wanted to, to discuss when you're trying to think of, okay, what specialty might I be considering, um, would be really to just get insight and knowledge about the data, about the statistics and figures to basically see if it's a realistic possibility that you enter a specific specialty. Um, so, I mean, it, it stinks to say, but you need to be able to balance what you want to do with what realistically you can obtain a, a residency position in. Um, so, so that's something that can be a hard decision. I've had quite a few classmates 
speak with advisors and and receive that kind of feedback. Um, and it's it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, but you want to set yourself up for success um, and do what you need to do to to obtain uh, the ultimate goal of having a successful career as a physician. Um, and kind of jumping off of that, um, so I found an interesting quote from the American Medical Association's uh, VP of, of the Medical Education Innovation. Her name's Kimberly Loomis. Um, and so what she said was that there are enough spots for all U.S. allopathic and DO graduates. So each student has a spot in a residency program, but it may not always, but it may not be a spot that the student has their eye on. There's a maldistribution of the student's interests compared to the workforce needs. Um, so it was interesting to hear her say that, um, just on the aspect of it is true that there are going to be some specialties that have a lot more open positions than others, um, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but so really the point of what I'm trying to say here, though, is it's so important to know how competitive you are as an applicant and to know where you stand. Um, so, Matt, what were some ways that you did just that, kind of analyzing how competitive you are? Well, for sure. I'm definitely a, a huge data analysis type person. So I, I pulled up my spreadsheet when I was kind of looking at, when I was at the end of my third year and kind of deciding we're about going to apply, understanding kind of where I stand relative to orthopedic applicants in the past and kind of just understanding the data. And unfortunately, there's not great data and each specialty has kind of some different aspects of the data that's presented. But I think more or less overall, there's just the general NRMP charting outcomes of the match data, which gives you a pretty good overview of what you're looking for within each specialty. So this is kind of just general overall view data of those that match in that specialty versus those that did not match in that specialty. And they look at a host of different criteria that were seen in ERAS. So it'll give you data on the average step one score when they had it. So now looking more towards step two score in terms of what range are you expected to be in for that specialty? And if you're significantly below that, does that impact your ability to get a residency in that particular specialty? So it just helps you understand there. So you got your step one, step two scores. Um, additionally, it kind of has your average number of research experiences. And then based on that, you also have your kind of mean number of publications, abstracts, presentations as well. So you can see of those people that did match, this is what range they're in. And those that didn't match, this is their range. Sometimes they're very close. Sometimes they're very far. So you can definitely get an understanding of how much of a difference there needs to be between those that match and those that didn't, but also you can get an understanding of kind of between specialties. Is this specialty really valuing research for whatever reason versus another specialty where research isn't quite valued as high? So definitely some things to look at from, from the research standpoint. Uh, additionally, they look at volunteering experiences as well as work experience where they're able to, to break that down. It doesn't give any specific data in terms of the time dedicated to any of those experiences. It's just looking at discrete experiences overall, but say one specialty has 10 discrete volunteer experiences and you have one. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything if that one research experience has been prolonged. It's a huge time commitment and you're very much dedicated to it. So again, sometimes you have to understand what actually went into developing that specific data point so you can kind of understand it within the context of everything. Uh, for me personally, I would definitely find it more impressive of somebody that 
volunteered consistently, say 10 hours a week over the course of their entire medical school career versus somebody that did 10 instances of volunteering and they were 30 minutes apiece. So you definitely have to go about understanding all the different aspects that went into to some of these numbers. Uh, some other things that I looked at, um, there was some data where it was Residency Explorer, where you're able to put in your specific residency of interest and it goes program by program, kind of where you might fall within their quartile. So you kind of have like first quartile, second, third, and fourth, and kind of getting an idea of where you might stand for some programs and, and getting an idea of just how competitive you would be in, in this specialty, but not only in this specialty, at this specific institution within this specialty. So you can kind of look at some of larger state schools, some more private schools, Ivy League, and you can kind of get an understanding of where these residency programs are, are at in terms of where you might be competitive for, but part of considering how competitive you are for something is just kind of understanding where your fit might be as well. Sometimes people might just have their eye on, say, an Ivy League style program in the Northeast, but that might not be what they actually enjoy doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So you have to understand kind of where what you want and also what the programs are looking at too. And a lot of this data is just what the programs are looking at. So you definitely have to take into account there's there's some selection. There's a lot of selection done by the medical students in terms of where they end up in addition to what the programs are, are selecting for when it comes comes to this data. Um, and then there's one for orthopedics specifically where it's O-R-I-N. They don't really have this for a lot of specialties, but it's just mm -hmm. a really excellent breakdown in terms of the step one scores, step two scores, because some of the databases are limited in terms of specialties that have a really high, say, step two score. They just limit it as 245 plus. But say the average, I think step one or step two score for orthopedics is about 255. So that doesn't necessarily give you much insight in terms of how competitive any specific program is going to be. So this website actually gives kind of program by program in terms of looking at what the average step one score was when they had it, what the average step two score is. The data isn't perfect and you can usually tell when the data wasn't entered properly or anything like that, but it gives you a good idea for that. And then I think we can get to this a little bit later, but it had some fantastic data for people who are applying in terms of the percentage of away rotators that they interviewed for residency positions, the percent of their residents that did an away rotation there. So you can get an idea of kind of, am I getting good value kind of going to this institution for an away rotation, understanding that that's a large impact of how competitive you might be. So that one is specific for ortho, but in terms of kind of some general rules of thumb, definitely taking a look at the NRMP match data, charting outcomes of the match, and also looking at Residency Explorer has some good data. What are some other resources that you looked at when you were when you were applying? Yeah, I mean, like the NRMP, like you mentioned, Residency Explorer was huge. I I love the way you're you're able to input your own stats and then automatically say you compare to to other people at that specific program. Uh, that was really really useful. Um, I mean, Frida has a lot of very useful stuff as well, and that's through the AMA. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you really kind of just, honestly, a, a simple Google search can get you a lot of really good info. Um, just make sure it's coming from a reputable source that you can actually trust. Um, the AMA is very, and the NRMP are very transparent with a lot of their stuff. Um, they do a lot of research into it, and there's a, there's a giant survey that goes out every year. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, I believe Texas Star is another one, but I'm pretty sure that that one is self-reported. 
Um, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, that's what I've been advised in the past. Um, but kind of just in general, um, like it's so important to just kind of know where you are, how you stand compared to other people that have already obtained positions in that specific specialty. Um, so like, for example, for me, um, I didn't do as well as I had hoped on step one. And so I was originally thinking ortho would be cool. Like I, I am good with my hands, certain stuff like that. But, um, but then I realized that, okay, that's not, not realistically going to happen now. Um, so I needed to pivot and it, it honestly, it worked out cause I got to my surgery rotation and hated it anyways. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things that you want to be realistic with yourself and you want to be able to, to match at the end of the day. That's, that's why we're going through all this work is to get to that next level. Um, so, so you want to set yourself up for success. But that being said, if you know for a fact that a certain specialty is your calling, um, you know, I mean, there are ways around it. Like, I mean, research years, different stuff that you can just try and maximize your chances. But also being realistic is, is kind of the, the point that I'm trying to make here. I completely agree with the being realistic part there. And I think the data can really help you kind of understand how competitive you are within a particular specialty. But as much as I loved going through the data and felt like it was important to do that to kind of understand how I should go about applying, you understand it, it is data and there's outliers to every single data. And I think you have to rely on your experience as well. So say you're particularly interested in internal medicine, say your board scores aren't necessarily where you want them to be, um, but say you worked with them during your third year for your home IM program and they absolutely loved you. And then you did a sub-I with them and they absolutely loved you and they're giving you very strong indications that, hey, we definitely want you within this specialty. We want you to come here. That's definitely something to take into account. Granted, it's always hard with, with residency and you never want to take everybody at their word and you don't want to feel like you got betrayed or anything like that. But there are definitely some signals in terms of when you're talking with people in terms of understanding what impression you made on a specific program, understanding whether they want you to come there or not. So again, the data is the data, but you also have to rely on, you know, you've been in the hospital, you've been around these people. Uh, for a lot of them, you've gotten very valuable feedback on throughout your clerkships, throughout your fourth year sub-I, anything like that. And you can kind of understand where you might fall within within their particular match list and how they're how they're thinking of you. So Again, don't want the, the data to drive everything. It should definitely be a huge impact of understanding how competitive you are. But there is more to it than just, say, step scores and research amounts. There's a lot of it comes down to, to networking and if you, you get along. Because for me, I, when I was working over in uh, medical consulting, we would interview a lot of MDs, PhDs, and definitely impressive resumes. But bottom line is usually we ended up picking the consultant that we got along with the best just because we knew they were going to fit in as part of the team. They were going to be somebody that we could work with day in and day out. They were going to work hard and they were just going to fit in with everything. And fit is something that's very important to a lot of residencies. So make sure you keep that in mind. Even if you're down on your scores, maybe your research isn't where you want it to be. You can definitely make an impression when you're when you're in the hospital with them. A hundred percent. And it's a great point. You know, I, I do think a beauty of medicine, a trend at least, is that it's looking at applicants more holistically. And, you know, I think that it's you're much more than just a test score. But with that being said, it's a huge factor and it'd be a lie to, to say anything else. 
Um, so it's it's important to consider, but it's not the absolute end of the world, you know. But it's also good to to have a a shooting point for okay, what do I want on well now it's pass fail. So let's say what do I want on my step two score, you know, and then seeing what those averages are, you can set yourself a goal that's hopefully going to be realistic and that that you can achieve and and then be more competitive. So it's it's a win win, you know. It's it's useful to check yourself, but also to to set high goals for yourself and hopefully attain those along the way. Yeah, and that definitely just sparked something in my head, and it's been something that I've been dwelling on for a while ever since step one went to to pass fail. Is it's really tough for people in medical school right now, especially if they have their sight set on a specialty for whatever reason has extremely high step two scores in terms of what their averages are going to be. Because as much as we kind of hope that we're going to do really well on these exams. There's so many different factors that can go into it. Say you're just feeling really sick that day, or you are excellent at everything except for GI, and you just got a ton of GI questions on that particular version of step two. And if it was anything but that, you would have done phenomenally well. So there's a lot that goes into it. But unfortunately, now that step one is pass fail, and the only score you're really going to have is step two, and most people are taking step two when, would you say, about May or at some point over the summer. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's really tough for people to plan their fourth years if they're going for a specialty that is really competitive when it comes to board scores. And they really look at them heavily because you could say you want to be a neurosurgeon and you have the research for it. But if for whatever reason your board scores just aren't necessarily within range for that particular specialty, it's very tough to pivot and I don't know how people are going to go about doing that. Say so you set up all your away rotations. Uh, I know for orthopedics, a lot of them open up in February. So say you schedule some of your away rotations and you're all done scheduling in, in March and they're all set up for you. And then you get a score in June that isn't necessarily aligned with that. It's, it's a really tough situation for applicants to be in. So as much as you want to make sure that you're kind of preparing for everything, it just it's tough to be a situation to be in. And just make sure you, you've considered the option of what if step two doesn't necessarily go as I want it to go? Do I have a plan in place for that? It's not a comfortable situation to think about because nobody wants to plan on that happening and it's not comfortable to think about. But especially if you're applying for some of these really competitive specialties, just make sure you have that in the back of your head because it's just tough to see somebody who's extremely brilliant, wants to do neurosurgery, has everything in place for that, but for whatever reason, their board score on step two wasn't where it needed to be. It's tough for them to pivot because there's really no time. They've been locked into all these away rotations. So just make sure you, you've got, you're aware of that. And unfortunate with making step one pass fail, it's taken all the stress off of that, but it's putting a lot more stress, I think, on step two for a lot of these, these future applicants. And we'll see how that, that goes about kind of playing out in the real world. It's a, it's a very valid point. And honestly, yeah, that's, that's something, it benefited me the way that, that we were still getting scores at that point and yeah that is that's that's going to be tough for uh for the future like test takers but you know i mean it's it's something that everyone's going to deal with and get through um but definitely something to be cognizant of especially if you're thinking a, a specialty where you need a really high step two score um so kind of moving along um i also wanted to mention I mean, so so I kind of alluded to uh, the quote earlier that was mentioning that the spots are there. Um, it's just the people's preferred specialties don't align with the workforce needs. Um, so I do want to mention, I mean, there's a stark contrast in, I looked up through the AMA, 
Um, they posted the amount of intern PGY-1 residency spots available um, for the year 2022. Um, and there's a steep drop-off. So obviously internal med, that's where the most seats are or positions are available. That's like 12,475. No, don't need to get bogged down. But in the twelve mid-12,000s. And then the next one's family med. That's like 5,500 roughly. Um, jumps down to peds 3,317, um, and it just keeps dropping, you know. And and so to to just think about um, if there are fewer seats, and I mean obviously it depends how many people are applying, but um, it, if there are a very few select amount of positions available, and the entire or people from all over the country are applying for it, obviously it's going to be more competitive. Um, so it's, it's definitely something to keep in mind and it's, it's a challenge. You know, I think it's, it's something to, to balance and consider. Um, let's see. So then additionally, I wanted to discuss a few tools that I thought was quite useful, um, when I was kind of in my like pre-clerkship years, kind of totally lost and like, okay, what? how should I handle what we're doing here? But how can I kind of figure this out? Um, and so so there's quite a few. Um, so the AMA, it's called Frida, F-R-E-I-D-A. Um, they have a specialty guide, um, which I found very useful. Um, it, it really does have a lot of different articles and videos, and it just it's designed to try and help make us or selecting a specialty a little bit easier. Um, so, so it'll design, it'll show you highlights of the different specialties. It'll show details on the type of training you need in order to become an, a physician in that specialty. Um, and it can also connect you to different national associations in that specific to that field, um, which is something that I alluded to earlier that is a great way early on to try and think about and network and make connections, possibly find a mentor or some some local ways that you can get involved and start figuring that out. Um, so that is a very useful guide that, that you can check out and it's it's quite useful and, and very worthwhile to, to look at. Um, and then another tool that I really liked, so um, it was actually a video series put on through the American Medical Association. Um, so they had a few different ones uh, they they had one dedicated to the best part of your specialty, where they asked a, a wide variety of specialists what the best part was. Then they had another one dedicated to the ugly truths of your specialty, so kind of some of the negatives. Um, they had a variety of specialists do a series on um, what the culture of your specialty is is realistically like. Um, and then they had one that was focused on work-life balance of different specialties as well. Um, and this is asking people that live it every day. Um, and it's it's kind of doing what what I was alluding to earlier, where where I was saying you should ask those difficult questions, kind of see what it's like, what are the ugly truths? What's the work-life balance like? You know, I mean, that's a great way to uh, to not have to ask those tough questions and still get the answers. Um, so so I would recommend checking out that video series if you're if you're wondering. Um, and then I also, so I was struggling with this more than a lot of medical students. Um, so I actually got a book called, um, and I read it, it was titled, or it was titled The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Medical Specialty by Brian Freeman. 
Um, I, I thought it was, it was really useful. It kind of did a good job of laying out some different pros and cons. Um, and, and really, it, it alluded to a lot of those questions that I, that I brought up here earlier. Um, and just it was a good way to get in touch with myself. And, and I found that, that that really helped and made me confident. Um, and then, let's see, one other tool I wanted to mention, um, which I don't know if you want to discuss or not, would be um, the Careers in Medicine yeah, so the Careers in Medicine is a really useful website. I think it's available to pretty much every medical student in the United States where you're able to go in and they have a bunch of different informations and you can fill out different kind of survey-esque type questions where it's kind of assessing kind of where you're at and try to kind of see how professionals within different specialties answer the questions and see how well you relate to them. So of these, of the way you answered the questions, you were more similar to, say, a psychiatrist, uh, internal medicine, and then there's people who would answer it and say you're more similar to cardiothoracic surgeon, vascular surgeon, everything along those way. And it's not necessarily a, a perfect way to do it, but it kind of gives you an understanding of kind of based on your interests, based on your personality, based on how you were going about answering those questions, people who answer them in a similar manner to that went into these specialties. So, yeah, like I said, it's definitely not a perfect way about doing it, but it's definitely thought-provoking in terms of why am I I'm answering these questions in a certain way. People who pick this specialty answer them in a certain way. Is there something that is in this area of medicine that is worthwhile for me to explore that I may not have considered before? Is there, some, is there a reason why my personality, my interests are aligning with these particular people in this particular specialty? So... That can be definitely valuable. I think the one caveat that I would definitely add to that is answer the questions honestly. <laughs> and that is easier said than done. Like I said, I was interested in orthopedic surgery and if push came to shove between answering a question, I think I kind of lean toward, I think an orthopedic surgeon might answer it a little bit more this way. So I may, I may have cheated on that a little bit, but regardless, try to take it as honestly as you possibly can because I mean, it doesn't influence what you're eventually going to do in, in your life, but it can give you kind of a good steering or make you consider options that you may not have explored otherwise and definitely a, a worthwhile thing to, to go about doing. I definitely agree. And yeah, it was uh, the careers in medicine. It's through the AAFC. Um, and essentially, our school made everyone in our class take it at the same time. Um, and it was, it was, at first I was like, well, this is kind of just a waste of time, like whatever. But it was, it was a pretty cool way that they, they figured out to ask, there's some different scales. Um, and really the, the first part of the process is to really get to know yourself, understand yourself better, what your priorities are, um, what, what you highly value in a future practice, um, what skills do you have? Um, and then after that, and then it'll kind of show you, like, it'll take that stuff about yourself and then it'll show you some, some realistic options that other people will have answered similarly, like, like Matt was saying. Um, and then to that in itself, you're going to, you're going to get to learn more about the medical specialties. And then after doing that, it'll give you a lot of good info about basically like how competitive you'd have to be to get into that specialty. Um, what kind of requirements you would need to to achieve in order to to land a residency spot, um, and it even also showed um, average compensation for these different specialties as well. Um, just to really try and give you a more encompassing knowledge about some different specialties that you can possibly pursue and see how realistic they would be for you and what would be interesting you. Yeah. 
Um, and then after that, it basically, so after exploring those options, you can kind of choose which specialties you're leaning towards. And then um, essentially it's going to give you some steps to take after that um, and really just try and help make sure it's a realistic um, it's a realistic specialty that's going to help make sure you're happy and achieve the goals that you want to make. Um, so it's pretty cool. And then actually, I don't remember this, but um, but the Careers in Medicine website mentions that um, that based on whatever specialty you kind of come up with at, through the end of the, the activity, um, it can actually even give you information about some relevant um, rotations, um, some different um, like tips for how to apply to residency programs, um, and even show you some some catered personal statements relating to those fields as well. Um, so it's it's a pretty cool way to kind of all in one get a, a good encompassing like information about a possible specialty. Um, so it's it's just another tool that you know there there's a wide variety of them, um, but it's it's a highly recommended one because it's it's put on through a like the AMA. You know, so it's it's a it's a very good resource, and they've they put a lot of thought into it because they know it's it's a big thing. Um, and then some other ways that we can try and help you as far as ways to to figure out a future specialty. Um, one thing we already mentioned is how important it is that you mesh with the people in that field. Okay, I mean, it's it's not going to be a hard stop rule that every person is going to have the same personality in it. Um, but if you find yourself not meshing with a lot of attendings in one specialty, I think that that should be a sign to you that maybe that 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 shouldn't bode well as a, as a future specialty for you. But again, it, it all depends. You know, I mean. There's vastly different attending physicians, vastly different residents. Everyone has their own personality. So if you're super interested in something, but you don't fit the culture at one program, that's that's not the the end of the line for you. You don't have to automatically switch. Yeah, no, I would completely agree with that. And I think you kind of just go through the different permutations in your head in terms of if you mesh with the people and then kind of separating that from if you're interested in the specialty itself. I spoke a little bit earlier about pediatrics where I was kind of somewhat interested in the area, but I really just, I, for whatever reasons, the residents and I, we, we were friendly, but we just, I didn't feel like I was like a part of the team or anything like that. So kind of just going through the different permutations of if you don't really get along with the people and you really don't like the specialty, you probably shouldn't go into that specialty. Uh, if you really like the specialty and you don't necessarily get along with the people, you definitely need to investigate that one a little bit further. Is it just that you were with a particular team that you didn't get along with on that rotation? Was it something else? What was going on? But is it kind of systemic throughout that particular specialty that you're really not getting along well with the people that pursue that? And then that's totally okay. You just need to understand that going into it. And then say you're not interested in the specialty, but you really get along with the people on there. I think that's one where you can get pretty easily caught up in terms of it was a very comfortable rotation. You got along with everybody really well. If you actually think about it, you really didn't like what you were doing on the rotation, but you had a really good time with the residents on it. I think that's one just to be cautious of because I think it can lull you into a false sense of security where, say, the residents changed out and you weren't getting along with them. Well, then you're back in that first category of not liking the actual specialty and not liking the residents you were with. And then hopefully you kind of stumble upon kind of the golden one where you love the specialty, you love the people you're with. And then as you go further and further in your medical training as a medical student and as a resident, 
and you're continuously kind of seeing that regardless of who I'm paired up with, I'm really enjoying this specialty. I love the specialty. I'm loving the people. Granted, there's always somebody here and there where you might not get along with best, but by and large, it's kind of your people and really fun to be with. That's a that's a good one. That's kind of when you know where you, you found the area that you want to get into. Everyone's looking for that golden glove fit. You know, oh, yeah. that's, that's really nice. Uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, just kind of as some closing thoughts, you know, I mean, all of the info that we, we brought up, I think, is useful. But really, at the end of the day, you got to take a look inside yourself and think what makes you happiest. You know, I mean, like, how did you feel when you were on your rotation in that, in that specialty? Were you full of energy? Were you feel like you're being your true self? Or were you just just looking at the clock all day and then, and then just trying to get out, like asking, is there anything else I could do for you? You know, I mean, that's that's definitely something to, to think about and consider. I would definitely agree with that. If you're spending more mental energy figuring out how to get home earlier <laughs> than actually learning the medicine, I think that's a pretty good indication that it's not the specialty for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then really, you just got to find what is going to be the reason for you to work hard when you have nothing left and you just need to figure out where to find that energy from? What is that specialty that's going to give it to you? You know, I mean, like, so that was something that I wrote in my personal statement was at the end of introspective consideration, I found that when I'm doing psychiatry, I feel the most energized, most happy, the most excited and really just true to myself when I'm on the floor doing that. Um, and I think that went a long way, you know, and I, that's the reason why I know it's my calling. So, so I think that's, that's very, very important. Um, and then other than that, think long-term, you know, I mean, what is exciting now? <laughs> Will it still be fun and exciting to you as a 50 year old, 60? I mean, I, worked with a um, an attending physician on one rotation who was in his mid-80s. And he just loved it. He just d didn't want to retire because it was what he was passionate about. He loved helping people. And it was amazing to see, you know. So so he found that that right specialty for him. And, I mean, it, it gave him a life purpose. It, it was incredible. So, so definitely think long term and try and find that right sweet spot for you that is going to keep you going and, and really just – make you want to work forever, even if you don't actually do that. <laughs> and then... Awesome. I think you, you summed it up really well. I mean, if you feel comfortable that this is something that you can do for the rest of your life, I think you kind of got that that very well set. And then it's just kind of setting yourself up for success. And we talked about in the first video, setting yourself up success and kind of M1, M2, M3. And in the next videos, we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of fourth year and some of the unique stipulations on that and kind of to, to wrap everything up in our, in our last episode, we're just going to be talking a little bit about kind of finding residencies and getting the right fit for you. But I think, I hope this was helpful in terms of kind of exploring different specialty areas. It's, it's definitely individualized based on the person. There's so many different specialties going into medical school. I didn't know PM&R was a specialty. So there's definitely a host of different things to look into and, if you kind of are honest with yourself and spend the time to do some introspection, you'll be able to find a, a great spot for yourself. And yeah, um, we really thank you guys joining us today. I had a lot of fun discussing this. This was something very close to my heart because it was something I struggled with for a while. Um, and hopefully I can 
provide some insight that might help somebody that was in my shoes in the future. Um, so really thanks again for joining us and we had a lot of fun and we look forward to talking again soon.